This episode of the Pursuit Podcast is presented by Fisher Skis. Good day, friends. It's your host, Mr. Adam Max. You're listening to the Pursuit Podcast on the Out of Collective. Super fun guest this week, Haley Smith. You might know her as Haley Hunter Smith. We talk about it for a minute there. Cyclist. Kind of focused cross country. Now is going to some drop bar. Dare we call it gravel. She won the Lifetime Grand Prix last year. Going for it again, but not necessarily going for the win. So it's an interesting, it's an interesting take from a professional athlete. So hearing Haley's perspective, how she battles mental health, how she copes, what she does, it's just like a very fascinating episode. So I'm gonna leave it at that. I'm gonna get right into this episode because it's just it's good. So I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Haley Hunter Smith who Haley Hunter Smith is. Okay. Haley Hunter Smith. Yeah. So first of all, I, I just go by Haley, but, um, by a funny twist of events with, you know, the first email address you sign up for when you're 11, I used my middle name and now everyone calls me Haley Hunter or Haley Hunter Smith in like one word, but we can just go, go with Haley. Um, but yeah, I am a professional off-road bike racer. I used to be just mountain bike and now I do drop bar stuff as well. Uh, and I'm also a master's of science student in sports psychology. So those are kind of my two pursuits. Um, but I mean, how do you define yourself? I honestly, I, I don't think I could give a concise answer, answer to that question other than that I'm someone who loves to be outdoors and be active and, um, chase excellence in my fields, which are, you know, right now academics and, and bike racing. Um, yeah, I, I guess I, I'm an Olympian, so I should maybe throw that out there, but I, that's not really how I define myself. So it kind of gets left off the, uh, the list sometimes. Um, but yeah. It's also just to note, it's the worst question in the world. It's like the worst way to start a <laughs> podcast. And I do it all the time because I, I love it. It's like, how can you make your guest uncomfortable immediately? Like podcasting 101. <laughs> oh, define yourself in a minute. <laughs> I do find it funny that most Olympians I, I talk with, they don't really mention it. They don't really bring it up. Is there a reason for it? Is there like you're still competing? So maybe Paris is, I would assume Paris is a goal. So like you just like, if you don't say it, you won't think about it. But I find it to be very common. I, I didn't know that it was common actually. Um, yeah, Paris is on my radar still, but I'm, I'm currently more participating or competing in disciplines outside of, um, cross country Olympic discipline. So it's not my main focus right now, but I don't know, there's still 16 months to turn that focus on if I, if I decide to, but why don't, um, I mean, why don't I mention it? I think because I think when you haven't yet been to the Olympics, it feels massive. Like it feels like this huge thing that you're chasing that will change your life when you have that little designation after your name or when you've gotten to have that experience. But once you've done it, it's kind of in some ways, um, not a letdown, but it's more like, oh, it like it's I mean, it's just the Olympics. It, it's not so much that it doesn't change you. It's the journey that to get there that changed you. And so 
I think I would be more likely to describe myself as someone, like I said, who is like, who chases excellence or who has chased the Olympic dream, because that's actually what, um, that is who I am. And that's the, the process that had an impact on me. Olympian or Olympics didn't really like impact me that much. Does that make sense? Like it's, it's the 10 years beforehand that shaped who I was not the day or the two weeks of the games. Yeah. It's, it's definitely interesting for me. And I think it makes sense. Cause I don't, I mean, I don't know. I've never been there. I don't know, but it's on such a pedestal and it, it is a common thing. Like when I know mm-hmm. I've had an Olympian on, they, they always throw it in at the end, but like they, they're like, Oh, I should probably mention that. But like they, it's not like it's a planned throw in. It's literally just like, mm-hmm. Oh, I guess this is maybe how people know who I am or cause it's just this pedestal race. But the reality of the Olympics, this isn't going to be an Olympic chat, but like you're racing most of these people every weekend. Mm-hmm. It's just like not, you know, sometimes it's a 10 by 10 tent that gets popped up and not an entire. like. Sometimes there's no tents at all. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like and, and yeah, I think that's the that's the case. It's like, um, I don't know, I, I guess for me in particular, it's just that an Olympian air quotes. That's how maybe, maybe other people see me, but it's just not, it's just not part of my self-conceptualization, I guess. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. We have to talk. You won first place in the, in the first ever lifetime grand prix series. Hmm. Is that the official way to just say that? Yeah. It's, I'd say like just lifetime grand prix, but I'm not actually sure. (laughs) Well, there's so many categories that like, I am so, but there's just your overall women's champion, correct? Mm, yes. So now coming into this year, is that pressure? Is that you have to do better? You have to do better for yourself? Like how does that – it's the first one. So you're like mm-hmm. – you notched it. That's great. Like you're in the record books forever. Like first ever female winner. But now going into the next year, is it as exciting? Is it – where does the motivation come from? I think, I mean, I have a ton of motivation. Um, I, my motivation last year was not necessarily to win the series. So when that happened, it was kind of like, Oh, that's cool. But it wasn't like the achievement of this massive goal. I was more focused on individual events and just like finding the love of bike racing again and, um, seeing what I could achieve. So I don't, I don't feel pressure about it because I, I have so much to improve on over last year. I only, I only won one event. So there were six events in the series and there was a different women's winner at every single round. So I won one of the events and I was just like consistent at all the rest of them. Um, so I'd like to, I'd like to improve on that this year and whether or not that means, you know, more wins or just more consistently, you know, in the top three would be ideal, but I I don't feel pressure because it's, it's just a different, it's a different experience every year, I guess. Like it it won't be the same series that it was last year. So there's nothing really to repeat because it's not identical. It's not an identical challenge. It's something different. Um, So that's one aspect of it, but also just like, I, I didn't achieve my personal goals last year in terms of, um, performance at all these individual events. So, the only pressure that I feel is personal pressure to do better. Um, 
I don't really feel anything about trying to like repeat as the women's winner or whatnot. That is an impressive statement. Like you won last year and you, you're not happy, not, not happy about it, but like you didn't perform the way you knew you could or you think, you know, you can, right? Yeah. Yeah. What do you change going into this year? We've done one race, right? We had sea yeah, otter. Yeah, one lifetime. One, one lifetime. lifetime race, yeah. We had sea otter. Excuse me, but I don't know how you did, so please inform That's me. That's okay. I was fourth overall, but third in the Grand Prix standings. Okay. Are we happy with that? Yes and no. It was, <laughs> again, it wasn't quite what I was um, hoping for, but it was an improvement over last year. Um, and it's definitely a faster start to my season than last year. I came in on a real slow burn last year. So it was, it was, uh, lots of positives to take away, but I also just like, I know what it feels like to feel peaked and to feel like you're sharp and like in the race and I'm still chasing that feeling. I didn't have it there. So what's more, sorry, I'm just like trying to get into the mind of an athlete now what's more important going into those races do you think it's physical or mental uh you can't i don't think you can separate the two um if you don't have the physical you know your mental can only make up so much difference and vice versa but you can't access your physical without mental like they're they're just so inextricably linked and So what's more important? I mean, if I really had to pinpoint it, I would say that your brain can overcome more deficits than your body can make up. Like your brain is the key to unlocking your, your potential, but you can't, I I do firmly believe that like they're so intertwined that you can't separate them into like a simplistic binary, I guess. So how do you prepare mentally for these events? I think, well, everybody's different, but for me, it has to be a relatively relaxed approach. Um, I, I prepare in training, for example, like, um, the next event coming up is unbound, which is 200 miles. Um, and it's very intimidating for me. That's a long distance to be going hard. Um, so I'm in a training block right now, preparing for that. And we're sort of mimicking, or I am mimicking some of the challenges that I'll face in the race. So in terms of like length and, um, intensity of rides and, um, environmental conditions, et cetera. And so you can, I can rehearse my mental response to those challenges in training. So that's something I do practically. Um, but in terms of like mentally being ready on race day, for me, it's about gripping less. It's about being less serious, less, um, less amped up or tight about, um, what I hope will happen and more open to possibility. So I guess that's probably the key. I'm I'm sort of rambling myself into where I want to go, but I think for me, the key mental performance element I need to arrive at the start line with is a sense of curiosity. And if I have that, then I, it, I mean, the race will probably go pretty well. I'll be able to handle whatever comes at me. What is your, do you have like a, trying to think of the best way to ask. I mean, it's just a, but like, what do you eat the night before? Is it the same every time? Is it, what does it look like? Cause that's what I'm thinking. Like you guys are camping. Like every time I see like 
cross-country racers or drop-bar racers. I don't know if we just call them gravel racers. Yeah. You guys are, like, sleeping in tents or, like, van. Like, you're not, like, in these bougie, like, having, like, this giant, like, you're, like, sleeping on a sleeping pad or in a van. And then you go and put 200 miles down the next day. I Well, that's probably a misconception. So I think that typically the people that are winning the races are staying in a house. Um, we usually have like an Airbnb or something. Last year at Unbound, we stayed in the university dorms. So nice. um, definitely, definitely not camping. Um, but like, what do I eat the night before? Uh, this is hilarious because I've been doing this sport professionally for 12 years, but I still am struggling to figure out what sits well with me. Um, your body also changes all the time. And I'm like how I metabolize things when I'm 29 now is very different than when I was 18. But anyways, we usually have a kitchen. It's usually just simple, real food. And I, yeah, it's different every time because I'm still trying to figure it out. It's uh, what about during the race? Like what's your yeah. go-to pocket snack? Cause there's gotta so, be, Sorry, I don't want to interrupt you, That's but okay. there, there's got to be like, okay, you got to get like your salt and your, your nutrition. But then there's also like in a 200 mile race, there's like, you need that mental, just like a Swedish fish in your pocket to like, <laughs> oh, I'm still having fun and riding a bike. So is there yeah. both? Oh yeah, for sure. Like, so the, the trend right now in endurance sports is to try to get like 90 to hundred grams of carbs per hour. And no matter how much I train my gut, I cannot do that. I can't metabolize that. So I have to go a little bit of a different route than what it seems everybody else is doing. But I kind of mix it between liquid calories in my bottles, um, gels, and then real food. So it would be kind of like I kind of try to eat every half an hour and it would be maybe like three times in a row it would be something of a gel variety and then it would be something real food. Last year at Unbound, I had four, I had a top two bag and the only thing in that little top two bag was four full-size Snickers bars. <laughs> so <laughs> I had one of those every couple hours to keep me like, just, you know, give me a dopamine hit. Um, but I, I don't have a fueling strategy yet for this year. I need to tweak it a little bit. There will probably be maybe less chocolate bars because those were a little bit dense to get down by hour 10. Um, but it'll be like a combo. I'm someone that needs to rely more on real food. So, um, yeah, I, I couldn't do 12 hours of gels. Lots of people seem to do that. And I just, I want to vomit thinking about that. Yeah. I don't, I feel like, um, gravel cyclists are like the old, not old in age, like the old major league baseball of athletes. Like, Someone will have like a big dip in and like they don't, but like they'll be like eating sunflowers, like just anything to get you by. And not, it's not even physically sometimes. It's just the mental, like you need a Snickers. Like it's, there's a reason I said yeah. this like two weeks. There's a reason you're not you when you're hungry and like the Snickers advertising <laughs> is perfect. But like, if that gets you through, then like, I don't know. I always find it so interesting when I talk to athletes and it's not always goos and gels and like paste of foods like mm -hmm. but it is hard finding that perfect meal or combo and it's interesting yeah. to hear that you've been doing this for 10 12 years and you still don't it changes yeah it changes and like it'll depend on the day too because you know if it's 35 degrees celsius or like you know 90 degrees fahrenheit 
what you're going to be able to eat is going to be very different than if it's more temperate or mild. Um, last year, my partner, uh, Andrew Lesperance, he's also a racer. So he, at Unbound, he, he had like an egg McMuffin at the, uh, my team manager had it waiting for him at like the third feed station or whatever, just cause you need something like relatively simple, but with a little bit of balance between sugar, carbon protein, cause, or sorry, carb protein and fat, because by that time your gut's just destroyed. But I do know some people only ate gels for nine or 10 hours and that just blows my mind. But, um, yeah, it's just, it's, it is a little bit mental. I think in endurance, especially ultra endurance worlds right now, there's a trend to try to like train your body to use just fats. So people, I mean, you'll hear stories of ultra runners that will like get by eating just butter or like peanut butter throughout the race. But Ours is still like peppy enough that you need to have that hit of carbohydrate to make sure you can uh, match the attacks and whatnot. I'm, I'm experimenting right now. I have these refillable gel packets and I'm experimenting with um, like a maple syrup, peanut butter mix. So oh, <laughs> like yeah. two parts, maple syrup, one part, peanut butter, and then mixing it all up. So I'll let you know how that goes in training this week. <laughs> yeah. it Maple syrup is the fountain of youth. I'm telling you, no one believes me. <laughs> there, there's some like, have you ever had the maple syrup sticks? They look like straws. I have. Yes, like the ba- yeah. Oh, you're Canadian. You know, you know yeah. how it goes. Like it's the same, but I do find it so interesting on just one, no body's the same. So mm-hmm. like what fuels them, what doesn't. And then like, it's always funny to hear like, oh, I had Snickers or I had like paydays. Like, you know, my mm-hmm. buddy did the PCT trail and yeah, PCT. And like, he's like, anytime I hit a town, I needed a Mountain Dew and a payday. Like, it's just like, that's what he craved. Like, yeah, it's um, pickles, potato chips. Anyways, we can move on. No, yeah. pickles are supposed to be like, those are oh, like yeah. the thing. Pickle juice is like a big for cramps, mm-hmm. right? Yep. It's, yeah. It's you a, just need that extra salt. There's a company that makes pickle pops now. They're like frozen freezy pops. Oh, I don't know if I could get that down. I've heard they're like phenomenal, but the concept <laughs> creeps me out. I don't, I don't know. But I don't know. You get to an aid station and you're like, whoosh, like, yeah, I don't Who am I? Worst aid station experience. Oh, <laughs> I don't really have one. Like, I mean, I've done a lot of stage racing in my pri- in my existence prior to this, like gravel scene I've or the endurance scene that I've jumped into. And usually like, usually it goes pretty smooth. Like I I often don't stop. I'll just have like my pack and my bottles on. Um, The third stage at, or the third, sorry, the second feed station at Unbound last year, which was with like, I don't know, 40 miles to go. So you've already ridden 160. That one was rough because I had to get back on the bike. So I got off the bike to have it like lubed and wiped down and (laughs) getting back on was tough, but I've had people like steal or accidentally steal my feed in feed zones rolling through before, like thinking it's a neutral feed. But honestly, like I don't have any horror stories yet. I don't have any like terrible bathroom emergencies that some people seem to have or like wild, you know, tech issues. I don't know. It's all, it's pretty, it's been pretty chill. I think that's good. That's good. Does in a 200 mile race, do they have a mandatory break or just go? No, it's just go. And uh, this is probably way too much information, but I didn't 
realize what that actually meant last year. So in, I was riding the first 120 ish K like 80 miles with, um, a group of two other women. And we made a pact that at the aid station, we would stop to like have a pee and then regroup and get going. And looking back at my file. Um, so we kind of crafted our own mandatory stop, but looking back at my file, that was like five minutes of stop time. And I later found out that in a race like unbound, if you're a woman, you don't stop to pee. You just pee your chamois. You just pee. And yeah. And I was like, I was not prepared for that. I didn't realize that that was going to be like a make or break in the race that those like five minutes actually matter. Um, so yeah, we're going to cross that bridge when we come to it this year at unbound and hope that it's also simultaneously raining a lot, but right. <laughs> I guess like, yeah, no mandatory breaks and it's not like a guy, like you can't just pee off the bike. So yeah, fun, not, I guess the less, uh, less glamorous realities of ultra endurance racing. Yeah. But I, I, I enjoy that because most people don't like talking about it. And it's just like, it's a reality. Like you're, there's money at stake. It's a job. And like, you're mm -hmm. doing what you need to do to win and survive in an endurance sport. Yeah. And in some ways, like, like I, I wish that people had talked about it because I didn't know what was going to happen going into the race. Like I was standing on the start line wondering if we were going to have a pee break, but it's also like, I mean, the nitty grittiness of that is kind of part of it, like figuring out how you can make your body just be a machine for 10 hours and like shed the societal conditioning. Like it's not, I mean, it's not like appropriate to wet yourself as an adult, right? but like you can, so like all these layers of being a, a, a conditioned or a well-adjusted human kind of get like stripped away in these events and it becomes very raw and like almost animalistic in some ways. And it's kind of cool. It's like a cool psychological experience, I guess, especially in retrospect, maybe less so when it's happening, but. Well, and I think competition is animalistic. Mm -hmm. So I think it brings, it just brings it back to like our roots, like are just like you're surviving. And I know mm -hmm. like, it's not, there's plenty of I'm not trying to make this like, like we're all doing this because we want to. Like you're signing up for races and doing this because you want to. You're not like in a life or death situation most of the time. But like mm -hmm. it's it's raw. It's organic. It's it's competition. It's human versus human pushing themselves to the limit. And like every year the numbers get faster or times get shorter. Like it's it's crazy what the human body can do. And like maybe the first year like everyone stopped and took a 10-minute break. And then like – it mm -hmm. just keeps evolving. Like, how can we get faster? I know there was some drama in the men's about like how much water or a bag to bring. And someone took a break with a bag, like, but it's like, you do you like, it's a mm -hmm. competition at the end of the day. Like you can have a pact and you can have, and I'm not throwing any, like that was, I think a learning experience for a lot of the professional athletes of like, Oh, this is, you can have a truce all you want, but like, it's, it's competition. Like it's, it's, yeah. it's crazy. What, Oh, you know it. I'm here to interrupt and tell you about my favorite people and the and the people that make make this thing work. And that's my friends over at Sierra Nevada. There's nothing better than a day at the river. Fresh fizz in your cooler. Stay hydrated with Sierra Nevada Hop Splash. They're sparkling water with zero alcohol and maximum hop flavor. Infused with citra, armorillo hops for a refreshing medley of peach, mango, and grapefruit. Again, 
Zero alcohol, zero calories, refreshing and hydrating. Go check out my friends over at SierraNevada.com or pick up some sparkling hop-infused water, some hot spl- hop splash at your local grocery store. And my second sponsor this week, they're on my feet. They're even in my Crocs. It's Darn Tough Socks. Guys, I want to kind of kick the stipulation of wool. I know you think wool is maybe just for winter, but wool is for every day, all day. It's cooling. It it ditches the sweat. I'm loving these darn tough socks. Lifetime warranty. They've got lightweight, ultra lightweight, midweight, heavyweight, cushion, no cushion, full cushion. I actually thought I was a full cushion guy, and the more I've been wearing socks and like paying attention, I'm actually a no cushion guy. So they've got it all. They've got tons of new limited editions that just dropped. Check them out, darntough.com. Again, lifetime guarantee. If they rip, if you, I don't, I don't know. They, it's a lifetime guarantee. So you really need one pair of socks for the rest of your life because they'll guarantee it. Maybe get two in case you need to make a warranty or, you know, but it's the only socks you ever need. Darntough.com. Back to the episode. What made the switch from you used to be a kind of a purist cross country to mm-hmm. now doing like a little more gravel drop bar kind of more well-rounded mm-hmm. yeah I, so up until the olympics i was pretty much purely focused on cross-country olympic olympic discipline racing which is short it's usually 80 to 90 minutes and it's kind of like an obstacle course that you do multiple laps of and then after the olympics um coming out of that and like simultaneously having like the reemergence out of the pandemic and whatnot, I, I was pretty like broken in a way I wasn't, um, I was having, I was just in a bad, bad spot mentally and emotionally and also physically actually. And I couldn't see, I couldn't see a way to keep going doing what I was doing. So I had this opportunity with my current team, Maxis Factory Racing, to expand my calendar and bring on this gravel scene and um, sort of the the endurance side of mountain biking. So we do events like Leadville that are, you know, seven hours or um, that kind of stuff. But I, so it was, it was circumstance, it was opportunity, it was kind of seeing that this is where the North American market is going. But it was also like a lifeline. And I, like I said, I could not see a way that I would continue to be an athlete and honestly be like healthy and um, a functioning human doing what I was doing and something needed to change. And so I kind of, at the encouragement of some key people and in particular, my partner, who is also my teammate on this team, um, we kind of went down this route and at first, I I was telling this story recently. I admitted it for the first time to my team manager, where I definitely thought that gravel was the place where pros go to like <laughs> retire, like like take me gravel, like I'm walking off into the sunset. This is it, and I was pretty upset about that for a long time because I felt like I was giving up and being I was I was being retired, kind of. Um, that is no longer my opinion. Gravel is so competitive and so fun and so hard that I definitely don't think, I mean, it maybe it used to be where people go to have their like second career, but I think that's changed. Um, so I'm less like 
resigned to like slowly being lowered into my grave as a gravel racer (laughs) and I'm more like looking at it as a just a new opportunity um but yeah I guess I I guess that kind of answers your question maybe in a roundabout way no I think I I think I would agree with you um but it's interesting like the North American market is gravel right now Mm -hmm. like it's the most exciting cycling event to watch Mm. to like the competition's funny all of the athletes are like characters, which seems to be really interesting. Um, so I enjoy it. Like I don't follow it like, you know, religiously by any means, but it's always neat. And I think what I really love about gravel racing, gravel cyclists, they seem to be very open about their failures. Like I, mm. cause I think gravel bikes are goofy. Like they're like, we're not do like, they're not supposed to be there. Like they're not, they're just not all right. Like we're on these yeah. like goofy bikes with like odd geometry. That's like kind of fast, but like we're riding them in terrain that doesn't make sense. And then, you know, the courses are getting more and more ridiculous and they're like adding teeter totters and like, and like you guys just like tomahawk your bike because the tube angle is like the, the, you know, the, I don't know the actual degrees, but like, your front wheel is under your feet like like you guys are just like and i it's so refreshing to just watch humans be humans it's almost like a like had the best race of my life and then they like show the clips and you're just like tomahawking and like (laughs) teetering over and you still like won and it's like i don't know i think it's really exciting and i it's not stale yet Mm. Yeah, I think I think they're well, it is new and kind of exciting, at least to at least to the masses. I mean, gravel has been happening for a long time, but it hasn't been so popular. But yeah, I think there's something enticing about the fact that. I mean, in cross country Olympic racing, it has become so um, refined so that if you make one tiny little fraction of a second error, that can be the difference in in your race. And that can happen in the first five seconds of a race. Like if you miss your pedal clip in at the beginning, done. It's over. in a world cup, like you're never making it back unless you're like one of like Tom Pitcock or Vanderpool, like you just, you're not making it back up. But in gravel, you have many hours to like make mistakes and recover from them and then make another one. And so it's, it's I think it's a more relatable way of racing for people because, because it is kind of like, it's almost like you it's whoever can just like keep going and and not quit. And I think that that's really, um, well, for example, like my brother is a recreational gravel rider. He'll do some events every year, but he mostly just likes to ride. And he said that he's more inspired by this type of racing that I'm doing now than he ever was with Olympic discipline because he can like see himself doing it and he can like engage with it. And, identify with these like the hilarious stories that come out of every every event so i like that part of it a lot yeah i think it's i don't know i I think it's really refreshing for for bikes i think there's so much Mm -hmm. happening in bikes and all bikes and we're like every day it's like oh this came out or like here's a new drivetrain that's 0.2 ounces lighter but you have to have it and like it's just and then there's just like gravel which like has all the tech and stuff but like they are what they are and like i don't know i think it's just really funny to, and like interesting to actually like pay attention to versus mm. 
I don't know, the the sizzler reels that we see of like like sure, downhill's insane and like free rides bonkers, like we get it. But gravel's just this weird what would have been a very niche market that's like probably one of the biggest growing categories in bike right now. I mean, don't Yeah, I mean, we I actually have done a study on this or I'm in the process of writing up a paper that I did for my master's degree and you can kind of approximate those numbers based on like event registrations and bike sales and whatnot. And those numbers show that gravel is the fastest growing and most participated in discipline in North America. And I think it's because it's obtainable. Yeah. Like I can't hit a 60 foot jump in Utah to like my, Mm -hmm. to my death March. And then like somehow maybe land. It doesn't mean it's not. Yeah. I can probably suffer through a hundred mile race if I, trained a little bit yeah and there's probably a distance that you would have fun at too like these events offer something across the spectrum for everybody that's one of their keys is that there's like a way for everybody to do it and i think it's kind of become like the the marathon of the cycling world as you know as the marathon in running is and it is yeah it's just um there's a lot of special things it's got going for it not to say that it's perfect but um i think it's growing exponentially for a reason and i'm i'm excited about those reasons i would have to agree with you on that are are you still blogging are you still writing Hmm. what does this look like yeah i haven't so i started my master's degree in september and i haven't written a post i don't think since i started that because i do so much writing and reading for school um but i'll bring it back this summer for sure um I do, I still have, like I journal pretty much every day. So I have all my thoughts and whatnot, but I do love to write. It's just that it's, it's been more of the very dry academic variety lately. (laughs) Yeah. I think your last post is October. So that lines up perfectly. I start school in September and then I stop blogging. It'll come back. I'll bring it back this, this season. But also, and this is a segue to your social. I mean, they're not just like one word, like they're many journal entries, your social. Yeah. I, and maybe that's a fault. Like I'm, if you ever wanted me to write a single, like a zippy Instagram caption that would get people to like it, I'm not your person. I can't do that. Um, I, (laughs) I am profusive in like, in how I describe things and what I share. So maybe that's a negative or positive. I don't know, but, um, yeah, I'm, I'm an open book, I think. Do you think that helps with your mental health is just being so open and transparent with it? Cause I think it helps with other people's mental health genuinely, like looking at your social media after a race or just training, like you're very, at least seem like you're telling all, I'm sure we don't know everything about you, but like the Haley I see on the internet after 32 minutes of talking to you seems like the Haley that I am actually speaking with. Well, that's what I'm going for. So thank you. I, I take that as a compliment. Um, yeah, I think like, obviously, yeah, you don't share absolutely everything. Um, but I do think being trying to be as honest as I can helps because you're not, you're then you're, you're in alignment, like who you're professing to be and who you are match. And that's, really important for like, um, being cognitively centered and being, um, I guess grounded is a way that you could describe it. 
I, so I do, I, for those who don't know, like I do have a mental illness that I've dealt with since I was 14. Um, and when I was diagnosed, I didn't know a single other person. It's, it's an eating disorder. And I didn't know a single other person that had had that. Um, social media wasn't really a thing yet, but it also just wasn't something that people talked about. And so it became a, like a pretty powerful mission for me when I was a pretty young teenager to change that and to talk about it a little bit more because I didn't, so much of that is like shrouded in, in shame and embarrassment and whatnot. And I didn't want other people to feel that other kids to go through that. So anyways, it became like kind of my, the, the motivator for doing well in sports from a young age was to like have a platform to talk about this. And it's also just become how I cope. Like I, I don't actually, I I went to therapy for a long time, but I'm currently not seeing a therapist at all. And I, I use like journaling and, and trying to be just as open as I can as a way for me to process things. And you know, there's a limit to what is appropriate to share on social media. And, and yeah, and I, I try not to go over that line. Like I, there are some things that are personal and there are some things that other people just don't need to know. Um, but being honest, I think is, is just really important to making me feel, um, I guess alignment is the right word in alignment. Yeah. Well, you know, just thank you for sharing and thank you for like being open. Cause I'm sure there are many people either listening or sitting at home or reading your socials who, who need to see it, who need to hear it. And see. And I think that's what we're learning in our last 10 years of like existing mm-hmm. as humans is like, you don't have to hide things. And like, there's always people who suck. That will always be a thing, right? <laughs> like that's just plain and simple. Like there's always, but there's also for that one person that sucks, there's 30 people that care that are genuine. Yeah. So like, yeah. and it's funny how they stick in our brains. Like you get a DM of like, this podcast sucks, but then there's a hundred other people that tell you it's great, or at least it's mediocre. And like that <laughs> one person is like, this one sucks. And that's the one we harp on. But like yeah. we can't and we have to just keep moving forward and keep like you just keep the wheel spinning like that's you have to keep moving forward. And I don't think it's always easy to share, but I also think it's it's easier to be authentic than it is to like be play a character. Mm-hmm. And I think that, again, I've talked to you for 36 minutes, but you struggling with all these things in life your coping mechanism is being true to self and being authentic. So you don't Mm -hmm. have to put on a mask when you go outside. Like you're, this is me. You know, all of my secrets and now I can live and be healthy. Yeah. And I thank you. And, and I think, yeah, I think it's, it's, I think it's less about like sharing and it's more just about honesty And I think if you can, like, you don't need to feel compelled to share your personal narrative or your personal experience with the world or with the internet. But I think being, like you said, being like just authentic and, and choosing to choosing not to craft a version of yourself that is not you, or that maybe is the version you want it to be or whatnot. Like if you remove that compulsion, then it's just 
life's a lot easier. Um, and it is easier to process stuff. So yeah, I, I don't know if that's a good response, but, um, I don't think there are bad responses to this type of <laughs> subject, right? Like it's just, it's hard to talk about. It's hard to like, I think we're always just figuring it out. I don't think there are mm -hmm. yes or no's. What works for you might not work for someone else. And like what works for me might not work. You know, you're not in therapy, but you found journaling and that works really well. And like, mm -hmm. I think that's the glory of it. And I think that's, to me, that is the conversation is like, here's what works for me. Try it or don't. And it's the same thing. I mean, it's different, but like it's the same thing with nutrition or physical fitness or like here's what I do and it works mm -hmm. this might work for you it might not like certain diets work for people and don't work for other people I think and I really enjoy that again in the last 10 years we're like having these here's what works for me here's what doesn't here's this here's that it's I don't know I think it's good I think you've done a fantastic job of just like being open about it and speaking about it and I think that makes a more comfortable place for humans as we move forward. So thank you for just being as transparent as you feel comfortable being. Well, thank you. That um, That's really kind. Thank you. That makes me feel like it's had an impact. So I think it does. I, I, I truly, I truly do. Um, little swerve here. What is your favorite event of the year to ride? Of the year. Oh my goodness. Um, I think it's different every year. I think um, I'm really motivated by novelty. So I love finding a new event that I haven't done before. Um, to ride. That's it. I think I'm still figuring it out. I would have in the past, I would have given you a world cup track, like Nova Mesto world cup track was definitely my favorite race to ride. Um, I think this year I'm pretty fired up on two events, um, mountain bike marathon nationals, which for us are in the Yukon. So I'm okay. like really thrilled that I get to go to the Yukon <laughs> and uh, marathon worlds in Scotland also, because I'm like really keen to ride my bike in that place and, you know, obviously race, but just these new experiences. Um, so kind of a non-answer to your question is just like the new event. That's would be my favorite. Whatever's new and shiny that year. Yeah. How do you, how do you pick your schedule? Like, obviously you're doing the lifetime Grand Prix. So that's six events, right? Mm -hmm. Something like that. But then like, how do you, you just like look at what's new and shiny and it excites you? Are there, you know, does your team make the call? I think it's so, interesting because, sorry, I don't mean to cut you off, but like, because okay. a basketball player, that's their schedule set. Mm -hmm. It's totally different. Most professional athletes schedules are kind of set. But also mm -hmm. most professional athletes aren't getting their masters, aren't getting mm -hmm. like it's a it's a totally different world when we get into like cycling and these individual sports, skiing. A lot of skiers and cyclists have part time jobs, full time jobs and do it. So how do, what, how do you set your schedule? So it'll be different on every team. But for us, we have so the endurance half of Max's factory racing is myself and my partner, Lesby. So. Um, that removes an element of, 
uh, sticking point in my life because I travel with my husband and we get to pick our race schedule. So it makes life very easy, but there are a couple events that Maxis, uh, requests we'd be at. And those would be things like unbound, um, the whiskey off-road, which we just did, which Maxis is a sponsor of. Um, so there's a couple like those sea otter. Um, and then from there, we pretty much have complete freedom. So we kind of, you know, the, the Grand Prix is one. So that's kind of a, a chunk of races. And then we selected some cross-country Olympic discipline races, some cross-country marathon mountain bike races, and then a few other gravel events. And we definitely... I definitely race a lot more than my competitors. I think like, I don't know, it's like 30 plus race days a year. Um, but I also use race racing as training. Uh, it just works really well for me. I can push myself a lot more in racing than I can in training. Um, so it's, it, it, it ends up being a positive, but I mean, I basically just, I kind of look at those different disciplines of racing and then fill choose the events that excite me the most and that I, I have goals at, I guess. So when you say you use races as training, do you enter those races in air quotes, like planning to lose? Uh, no, I never plan to lose. I just lose most of the time. <laughs> but like, <laughs> just... <laughs> yeah, does that make sense? Like I know a lot of know, uh, yeah. triathletes like in Ironman, They'll just like, I'm just entering, but I'm not really going for a win. I just need to like get a good ride in. Like I need to like get, I need to go through the motions. So I, yes and no. Like every time I line up, I line up with the intention that I'm going to do my best to win. Um, for example, we have, I'm leaving in a week from today for a, a mountain bike stage race in Belgium. So it, it's four days in a row and four marathon days in a row. And that's kind of right in the middle of my unbound prep block. So it's, I mean, I'll be doing pretty heavy hours before, and then this stage race will be the final week of this sort of three week build. And I expect that I'll be tired, but I also expect that I need to be able to perform under that fatigue because that's part of doing well at unbound is being able to go hard in hour 11 when you've, when you're absolutely thrashed. Um, Anyway, so no, I don't expect to lose. I am aware that my body might be unpredictable when I'm racing these races under load, but I also like the expectation is that the race will allow me to give 100%. So I don't know what that'll yield. I hope it's a good result, but <laughs> it's more that like, it's kind of both, I guess. Like I need the ride. I need that hard ride, but I also am racing to perform. Um, there are some races I use as training where it's like I go in fresh and that is just that it's my key workout of the week. Uh, that doesn't happen all that often, but um, <laughs> sometimes it, it does. So in that case, I'd just probably be going a little bit under fit compared to someone who's peaked for the event. Should gravel bikes have suspension? <laughs> so this is funny because right now I'm riding, I'm very lucky I have two gravel bikes and one of them has the Fox step cast on the front. So it has 40 mils of travel. And until I got on this bike a couple weeks ago, I was a suspension skeptic. I was like, there's no way that does anything. Like what is 40 mils going to do other than just like make it a little bit less vibrational fatigue when it's bumpy. Uh, I'm now a convert. Um, <laughs> I rode it, I rode 180 K. It's so like 110 miles yesterday. And a lot of that on, 
gravel and like I was like purposely hitting potholes and washboard because it's it makes the bike so capable um so I guess my answer to that question would be if you're doing any sort of trail riding or like backcountry riding on your gravel bike I would 100% be running the fork if I was riding pretty smooth like champagne gravel maybe not um but yeah like i it's enjoyable to have the suspension for sure okay i feel like that would have been a different well i think you admitted it but three years ago if i asked you that question it would have been a different answer yeah i would have been like heck no like just ride a mountain bike like what are you doing <laughs> but um it's it's a pretty sweet little piece of equipment um I'm actually going to race it in, we're doing Belgian waffle ride, which is not in Belgium. It's it, this one's on Vancouver Island. So I, I'm going to, to race it there, knowing, knowing that part of the country and knowing how like rough BC riding can be. I'm definitely going to run the suspension. Yeah. It'll be, it'll be interesting as the tech keeps growing. Mm-hmm. Everyone's we're just going to be on. I, my theory is we're just going to be back to like 26 inch, mountain bikes like we're just gonna well, be like we're pretty close right like, like we're there a gravel bike now yeah a gravel bike is a hardtail mountain bike with curly bars so you have more aero uh, capabilities and maybe a better position but i mean like we used to run 1.9 tires which is pretty close right. to what a gravel tire is now well someone's just gonna run like a flat bar and then that'll be like the trend and then i'll be just like guys we're mountain biking again like we made it. We're there. Yeah. We came full circle. <laughs> like we just started having fun again. Like that's <laughs> I don't know. I have a couple more questions for you, then you're free. Um, pizza or tacos? Oh my god, that's so difficult. Um probably pizza. Playlists or podcasts? Depends on the context. Driving playlists, actually. Riding podcasts. Okay. Pool or beach? pool i love the beach but there's just sand everywhere i'm anti-sand fruits or vegetables fruit text or call text i hate talking on the phone so much it's the worst i hate the anxiety of the call once i'm on talk forever yeah the anxiety of the call hate it comedy or horror comedy waffle or pancake Mm, pancake interesting coffee or Mm. tea gravel or cross country Uh, cross country whoa i would not expect that yeah um favorite album oh man um i could not pick a favorite album but recently the probably the one that's been most played recently is um taylor swift's new album okay <laughs> i'm so stereotypical that's but... fine that counts yeah i i think i've listened to it once but i'm not a big i'm not a big t swift human like, fair enough i'm not against there but like it's just not what i'm gonna pop in my discman and go listen to <laughs> your discman <laughs> yeah like i did buy like a, a new used car recently and it came with what is it 1979 Yep. Or that, not 89. What? That's in yeah. the CD player. There's like, cause my car, cause nice. I buy old junky cars. It's a 2010, but came with a Taylor Swift album. I'm like, this is great. So I don't know. I do have one. That's me now. I am a, a T Swifter. <laughs> what is one thing you wish everyone knew about you? 
Uh, that I actually have a sense of humor and I'm not all serious. Some people don't seem to think that I <laughs> understand laughter. <laughs> I'm sure it's hard when they just meet you during like competitions. Yeah. It's got to be a little tricky. Um, but this is my last question, I promise. If you could cook one meal for someone, dead or alive, who would it be and what would you cook? Oh my God, that's difficult. Um, I'd probably, I mean, I'd probably cook the meal for my parents. Um, and it would probably be something really special. So like I would probably, which is actually, there's a double-edged sword there because the special meals are my mom's recipes. So it would be like weird for me to like potentially there would be like criticism involved there maybe, but um, yeah, it would just be something like special and it would be me making a meal just for them that I wasn't indulging in with them. I think. Interesting. You wouldn't eat it with them, but like, give me, like, I would like wait staff them. Right. Like I would make the meal for them, but give me the meal. Like what is your mom's like special meal? Like, is it her meatloaf? Yeah. Oh no. She makes, French onion soup. It's the best. Okay. It's so, so good. Um, we only have it on special occasions, but that's probably what I'd make for it. Cause it takes so much time and she puts so much love into it. And so, yeah. I love it. Haley, people to thank, where can we follow you next? Uh, you can thank sponsors here if you want. Mm -hmm. And like, it's really just like, where, where can we engage and help whatever you're doing in some way, shape, or form, whether it's a like, a comment, a share, how do we help? Well, thank you for that. Um, yeah, professionally, um, Maxis Factory Racing is my primary uh, sponsor. And, you know, along with that, all the team sponsors. And we do have a, the team has an Instagram account. So following us there, just at Maxis Factory Racing. Um, similarly, that's where I post most of my stuff. So I'm most, I mostly share things on Instagram at Haley Hunter Smith. Um, so that's like, that's probably my biggest group of people to thank is Maxis and all of our team sponsors. Um, uh, also like school is a huge part of my life right now. So if you're at all interested in sports psychology or psychology research, um, just like having a look at the the plays group at the school of kinesiology and health studies at queen's university very grateful to that group of people and my supervisor in particular dr jean cote he's um next level supervisor so very grateful for that and then just a little shout out to my my family for putting up with me and my weird biking career for so long and you know not letting me give up on myself around the olympics particularly but um yeah just Lots of love sent to all my family. And I just want to say thank you. Thank you for being you. Thank you for being very open about life and how it's not always great. And sometimes it's sad and some, and we just get through. <laughs> so thank you for just being open on your socials, on the podcast. And thank you for taking an hour on a Monday morning to, to record and tell your story. Yeah. Thanks for asking me. I was thrilled to get the invite and I really enjoyed the chat. So I appreciate it. You are always welcome here. Uh, I'm going to hit end, but just stay on because it needs to upload.